The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. This season, we're attempting the deepest dive that's ever been done on the disruptive organizations that are likely to impact the experience of healthcare consumers for years to come. For more provocative thinking, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about crossing the chasm. How do we set the foundation for the widespread adoption of consumer transformation? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I are joined by regular contributor James Gardner to give the lowdown on the most feared competitor to traditional healthcare. And it might not be who you're thinking. We're talking about the United Health Optum conglomerate, and we'll explain why they've been flying under the radar despite making some of the biggest moves in the industry and what it tells us about their disruptive DNA. All right, it's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. If consumer transformation sometimes feels like taking a giant leap, maybe it's because we're in the middle of a chasm. This metaphor comes from the best-selling business school book, Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, in which he describes the technology adoption life cycle. This refers to an adaptation of a traditional bell-shaped curve with a twist. From left to right on the curve, innovators and early adopters represent a small percentage at the front of the curve, then it slopes up to represent the early and late majority, and the tail end drops back down to a small percentage on the right for the laggards. The sections on the curve also correspond to psychographic or behavior-based profiles of each consumer type that apply not just to the adoption of new technologies, but to myriad other business sectors. The twist is that there's a chasm between the early adopters and early majority. Moore's model, which has been discussed for decades in business school, says that this gap is, and I quote, dramatically wider in terms of the driving motivations of customers and ultimately the disconnect of what a product maker is selling from what the customer believes they are buying. Now, I believe that how you respond to consumer transformation in healthcare depends on where you sit on that adoption lifecycle curve. The conversation used to take place solely among innovators who used to ask, why isn't anyone doing anything about this? I'm happy to see it starting to change to the early adopters might be onto something. Let's go see what they're doing. The desire for social proof tells us that the pragmatists of the early majority are starting to awaken and are getting more curious about exploring consumer transformation. But the space between them and the visionaries is truly a chasm, and crossing it's going to require a collective effort at a scale that we have not seen yet as an industry. The early majority have less tolerance for risk, so they need to see proof that it's worth the effort. And that's something that the innovators typically have trouble doing. They don't want to slow down and look back because they're already on to the next thing. So I think the right question to ask at this point is, how do we cross the chasm and what is our part? 
For those of you who are the innovators who've been the first to explore consumer transformation in any way, from disruptive primary care models to digital front doors, do you see the value of sharing your work? Can you sit at the same campfire as the early majority and provide that pragmatic proof that they're starting to ask for? And can those of you in the early majority take what limited social proof there is right now and run with it? I hope so, because those are ways that will help validate all of the momentum of the last few years in putting consumers first and then take it all to the next level. Now is the time to cross the chasm and set the foundation for the widespread adoption of consumer transformation. Let's each do our part. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. The Flow. The Flow. All right. Hey, let's get into the flow. Zane is here. Hey, Zane, how's it going? Good, Jared. How are you? Doing really well. We also want to welcome James Gardner, our frequent contributor. James, how are you? I'm doing great. Good to see you, Jared. Good to see you, Zane. Thanks for being here. I feel like, James, we're always chatting back and forth on LinkedIn by email, but I don't think the three of us have ever been together after all this time. And so here we are. I'm happy, happy about it. Yeah, the three musketeers of sorts. <laughs> what a perfect way to intro season eight. And this is a bit of a a pivot for us. It's funny, even that word pivot, I, I'm remembering now. Some people really uh, don't like that word. So whatever the term is, we are starting a new season here. And let me set this up here real quick. And we're going to dive into our topic of today. But first and foremost, season eight, we're going to talk about the disruptors, but we're actually going to attempt to do so in a way that really we're not aware that anyone else has done before. I really try to do the deepest dive on them. We're going to be talking about six different categories of disruptors this season, and we want to do so with the goal of better understanding their mindsets, really what makes you become a disruptor. What leads you there? Is it, is it your leadership? Is it your culture? Are there certain tools you're using? Are there different business strategies? Today's topic, for sure, we're going to be diving a lot into business and and acquisition strategies in particular, some things that we, it appears that these players have zigged where others have zagged, if you know what I mean. But that's kind of where we're coming from today. And what we're going to try to do is every few episodes, we're going to try to cover one of those categories this season. And we're going to start with one that quite frankly, we were all kind of learning a little bit about, which was payviders, national payviders. It's an interesting term, probably hasn't been around that long, but it refers to a lot of these organizations that have a couple of different arms going on at the same time. They are providing healthcare services, and then they're also providing a health plan of some kind, some kind of benefits. And that can lead to some interesting places. Without further ado, we're going to talk specifically about United Health today, which is just a behemoth that for some reason has flown under the radar all this time. James, do you want to, first off, tell us what we missed in your bio? What would you like our listeners to know? And then you want to get us started on what the heck is United Healthcare? <laughs> Thanks, Jared. Well, most of you would know me as a lifelong sales and marketing professional with a deep passion, both for healthcare marketing, but more recently, retail health in all its manifestations. Because I love disruption and I see retail health and kind of the related providers and technologies that are surrounding that as being one of the most important things going on in the world of healthcare right now. But let's pivot quickly to United Healthcare Group. I'm tempted to, as if I can use that pivot word, <laughs> I'm tempted to paraphrase Winston Churchill as, as we think about 
United Health. He famously used the, the phrase, you know, it's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Now, granted, he was referring to Russia and their likely uh, strategies in World War II, but it's an apt description, I'd say, as to how most of us understand United Health. But strictly by the numbers and by the books, we would describe them as an integrated healthcare services organization. It doesn't even begin to do them justice. Most obviously, they're enormous. So $300 billion, give or take, uh, in revenues, growing consistently 10 to 15% top line every year. On top of that, you know, they have a $500 billion market cap, eclipsing many organizations of their size because their business is so incredibly profitable. They're headquartered in Minnesota. They have about 350,000 employees, making them the largest employer in the private sector of physicians, which is is rather notable. Almost 60,000 physicians employed or affiliated with the organization. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So all this makes them a Fortune 5 company, probably on track for number four status, if not number three, inside of the next three to four years, just given the pace of their growth. And fun fact, you know, with close to $300 billion in revenues, they alone account for 6 to 7% of U.S. healthcare spending. One organization alone. It's stunning. It's just stunning. So that's a little bit by the numbers. If, if we wanted to break down kind of what they do, most obviously they have a large health insurance business. They're the largest private health insurer in the country. They're also a major provider of care. So Jared used the term payvider. They're a classic example of having interests across both the delivery of care, but also the payment for care. But they also have like a huge data and insight business, which we'll get into a little bit, as well as a services business. And across all these business fronts, as we'll see, they're in the unique position of competing with many of their customers, which I find incredibly interesting and perhaps is at the root of why they're so disruptive. So that's by the numbers what I would say about United Health Group, Jared. When I you know listen to James uh, reel off that whole list of who United Healthcare is, it it strikes me that. They are such a massive, I don't even know if they're a whale, they're bigger than a whale in U.S. healthcare, such a massive entity that's influencing, brokering, bartering behind the scenes. And yet it's really something that the public or I would say even the news cycle doesn't really bring to the forefront a lot. And so, you know, I know a lot of you know us on this show, Jared, we talk about brands that maybe are a little bit more known to the public and our listeners like Walmart. What's Walmart doing? What's Amazon doing in healthcare? But here's like a beast that holds a huge market share that really a lot of people don't know about. And I would I would say, you know, being a healthcare insider, there's others who are sort of behind the scenes that are really the ones that are influencing and, and causing American healthcare to be the way that it is. And so I think it's really important that we you know, start to elucidate some who some of these players are as we think about changing the system, because you'll have to run up against them at some point because they just control it all in, in a lot of ways. So that's my thought. Yeah, there's a couple of like factoids on that of just the size and scale because I think it's an important part of the conversation whenever we talk about United. But the fact that in 2021, United was $100 billion larger than the entire British National Health Service. That's crazy. It's more than three times the size of Kaiser Permanente, five times the size of HCA, which is the nation's uh, largest health system, five times the size of the largest one. Like It's just hard to for me to fathom how they've flown under the radar for so long. I don't know. Any, any thoughts on that? Like, how? why aren't we talking about them? We're talking about Amazon all the time. I'd be curious to get James' reflection, but mine would be like, 
because they own, you know, from, from what I have seen, they've been going across the country acquiring all these different practices, all these other little pieces of, of the business that used to be called something else, so to speak. And so you don't you don't really necessarily see United Health Group's brand forward. You may not realize that United Health Group owns Optum or owns all these other, you know, brands and logos, if you will, that are actually all part of a giant parent company. So because it's it's I guess my simple answer, it's a massive conglomerate. You just don't recognize, similar to media, how media owns all these different brands or in the food industry, you know, especially, you know, processed food. There's really only a handful of parent companies that own them all. Same thing here. And you just really don't see, you know, United Healthcare's logo everywhere. And so that you don't really think about it. Yeah, that's a good take. I would just add, though, as, as widespread as like the lack of knowledge about United Health seems to be, at the CXO level, they are definitely known and feared and respected. And I'm drawing on some uh, recent research by Kaufman Hall, a consultancy I have a lot of respect for. And they surveyed healthcare system leaders and they asked, you know, over the next five years, what degree of competitive threat do the following companies pose to hospitals and health systems? Head and shoulders above Walmart or CVS or Google or Apple even, United Health was at the top of the list. A full 76% of healthcare leaders described it as an extreme threat or a strong threat. So at the CXO level and in the, inside the boardroom, leaders are watching this with a lot of apprehension, which behooves us to be speaking about it. Echo what James said. So some of the health system leaders that I've worked with in the past, so I'm talking about the public anymore, but like people that know, certainly know United Healthcare. And frankly, I've seen some hospital systems purchase services from different parts of their business, and they've had some reservations about it because... You know, there's this theory that, you know, potentially United Healthcare knows too much, too much to the point where they're anti-competitive. And that remains to be determined, I guess, by someone smarter than me. Maybe James can figure it out. <laughs> I don't have the answers, but I've got lots of questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, James, you used the term in our pre-show about uh, United being frenemies in the industry. I think it's fascinating to look at some of their acquisition strategies. And as you mentioned, they've just been gobbling up physician practices for years. That's one reason that they've led to this rapid growth. But I found this stat interesting. We were referring a lot to an article by Jeff Goldsmith that he published on Medium just called United Healthcare Anatomy of a Behemoth. And one stat or fact what I found interesting in that was the fact that he said on the Optum side, at least almost half, so 44% of Optum Health's revenues come from providing care for health plans other than United. That seems counterintuitive, but is that possibly one reason that they are becoming disruptive? What do you think? I think there's a lot to that. If you think of how their business model works, and it's extremely complex, so this is just like looking through the keyhole and trying to understand what's on the other side of the door. But we know, for instance, they have a huge population of employed and affiliated physicians. And those physicians are working directly with health systems day in, day out, you know, referring patients and whatnot. At the same time, United is a huge health insurer. So they're trying to keep people out of hospitals and steer them into lower cost channels. At the same time, uh, Optum is providing business process outsourcing to many, many health systems. So like, the possibility of conflicts of interest are stunning. And yet I'm intrigued at how United's been able to navigate what would seem an unsustainable and impossible set of circumstances. It's really so fascinating. It would seem to me like, again, can't even begin to imagine how things actually operate on the inside, but you know, it could be that as so long as they're driving you know, top-line revenue growth to some of their higher margin work, like I would imagine their health plan, 
um, you might be able to sell to offer at a, at a more discounted rate from other services. That could be, you know, one of the reasons why they've actually done so well on their services side is they at least on the service piece, they could be more competitive than some other consultants or business process automate operation, you know, efficiency types out there. And so that's one way I would think about it. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Hey, listen up, y'all. Did you know that nearly 60% of people wish their healthcare provider sent them more relevant health information? And 42% would even consider switching to a different provider that sent them more, according to a recent survey of patients in the U.S. The vast majority of them would prefer to get that information via email or text. Persado is a natural language AI company that provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized messaging journeys proven to build digital relationships, improve health goals, and increase patient retention. Deliver better health outcomes and revenue growth with Persado's data-driven content that inspires action. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com to find out how Persado can help. Justin Knott here with the Patient Convert Podcast, your weekly dose of healthcare marketing growth strategies, co-hosted by Justin and Kelly Knott. This is perfect for physicians, practice owners, healthcare entrepreneurs, and healthcare executives. We are breaking down what practices and healthcare organizations should be doing to grow, reach, and retain patients. There's so much confusion and so many options out there around what you should be focusing on to grow your practice, and we're breaking down each week what really works. We're bringing real-world application, case studies, and interviews from leading growth-minded physicians and healthcare executives. So catch us weekly on your favorite listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. Okay, back to the flow. I think strategy-wise, when we talk you know, about the consumer first side of this, you know, how does this lead to products or services or experiences that are consumer first in nature that have been designed with the consumer in mind as really any part of that change management process? One stat I'm looking at in that article again was the the fact that on the Optum Health side, again, United Health Group owns Optum, uh, but on the Optum Health side, which in 2021 recorded $54 billion in revenues. But they have this goal or this stat line about that Optum Health is keeping 20 million patients healthy and away from hospitals. I find that fascinating. Again, I think that's more unique to payviders in general is that it does seem to be almost a little contradictory, at least to a straight-up health system, that a lot of their business model is based on how many people come in for services. But... Here you have Optum sitting here saying, yeah, we're keeping 20 million people healthy and away from hospitals. James, what's your reaction to that? Like, what what do we learn about this as a disruptive quality or tendency of theirs? Well, I I think it's really telling that amongst the many, many, many acquisitions they've made over the years, they've studiously avoided anything in the hospital or nursing home space. They have no interest in acquiring beds. They're much more interested in supporting their massive health insurance business by the delivery of care through these lower cost channels, be it physician groups, be it home health, be it telehealth, but they've no interest in that commodity of providing bed space. 
that's very telling to me. I think it's a little bit validating to hear James say that because I think I think it was last season, Jared, we talked about you know, what might be the future of health systems if they don't innovate. And we had kind of come up with this at least mental framework that essentially they'd be just left on their own to be in that high acuity, high expense, complex care where there's frankly probably a lot of low margin unless you're a massive specialty center like Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic. And in a sense, you could argue that that United Healthcare has clued in on that. And to James' point, you know, are buying up the, those lower cost settings where they can manage their patients in and, and leaving hospitals to be hospitals, right, without the rest of those bells and whistles. Yeah, it's a grim view of the future. But increasingly, it seems like CVS Aetna is moving to, to push that model. Kaiser Permanente is obviously another pay provider that we all follow. Geisinger, another organization that we all know and respect. They seem to be the organizations that are grasping the future and doing some really interesting things in this integrated payer and provider world. For sure. Just a lot that's fascinating about it. And part of it's the optim piece of the puzzle. You know, I'll come back to this in terms of I've mentioned what what they're not. It's worth noting, you know, what they are, kind of like what their portfolio includes. And that does include the fact that Optum by itself is at least, you know, as of 2021 numbers. Optum Health is almost the size of HCA, which we mentioned. United Health is five times the size of, of HCA. And Optum Health by itself is about the same size. Their portfolio includes some physical facilities. They do have, you know, they do own these large physician practices. They own also urgent care centers, surgical centers, imaging centers. And now uh, just a couple of months ago, they announced their acquisition of LHC, it's a home, it's a group of home health agencies for $5.7 billion. You know, like they're that barely made a splash, at least for me. I don't, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, not paying attention to the right things, but I'm like, that's billion with a B. And that's just funny money at this point. I don't even know what to make of it. Yeah, it's massive. Well, again, it goes back to what James said, really just acquiring sort of all that post-acute and pre-acute, you know, elements of the care journey. And one thing, you know, that's interesting to me, especially being a consultant, is their own consulting business, services business, where they're now, I think it's called Optum360, where there's some sort of preferential agreement for health systems to sign on with them to manage all their revenue cycle and some of their IT work, which could be really, really interesting to monitor um, as things move forward. You know, health systems, at least coming out of this pandemic, aren't in great financial standings. And so they're certainly looking for ways to, you know, potentially use outsourcing as a way to drop costs. And it could be very interesting to see if Optum continues to pick up on some of that business and then what it's going to mean for the company and for the industry moving forward. And that's what I meant earlier by, you know, Optum. Again, I'm sure there's some firewalls, at least officially across the company. There kind of, there kind of has to be. But you can't discount. I mean, we've all worked in massive institutions. I'm sure you can't discount, you know, call it the underground flow of information. And, you know, if you put all the brains of Optum or so United Health Group together, they know a lot of stuff about a lot of people and what really happens. And again, could find themselves in a, a position where because of what they know, owning all the sides of the business, uh, they can be very anti-competitive. Yeah, there's always seemed to be some pros and cons of any organization when we start talking about scale. James, you've talked about it a lot with with Walmart and with Amazon and others uh, and CVS, just how scale is really, that's what everyone's trying to reach, is aligning incentives at scale or reaching more patients at scale or in, in Optum's case, keeping 
people out of hospitals at scale. So I don't know, is, is that a part of, of this? Is, does, can it work against them to have such a massive scale and so much expertise like Zane was just talking about? There's certainly speculation about that, the level they're operating at. Like they're a lightning rod for attention by Washington regulators, I would imagine. They've made a lot of friends along the way, but they've also got a lot of rivals slash enemies who would love to see them taken down a notch or two or three. And we've seen Washington do that with Microsoft and with Facebook. That If you're in the crosshairs, you can draw attention that you really don't want. And that's got to be a CXO concern at United Health, just continuing to stay off the radar screen and others that uh, are just not fans of anyone having that much power within a given system. I think if, if I was in Washington or a lobbyist, I would, I would imagine you know, the American Hospital Association, maybe even the American Medical Association would have a lot of opinions to say about United Health Group. Absolutely. Well, that's going to be a part of this, a piece of this puzzle again. It's not like I can point to anything that says, yeah, they've, they've gone into these decisions you know, with blinders on in terms of the, the regulations involved and the potential antitrust things involved. Sure, I would guess, again, no inside information, I would guess that they're well aware of what they're up against and how they have to be careful to steer clear of certain certain regulations. I would also, it makes me wonder, you know, like what each of you are keeping your eye on, you know, kind of where their trajectory might take them from here. There are so many components here under this umbrella. Are there any that stick out to you? And if so, like, what are you keeping your eye on? Like what parts of the business and, and what interests you? Yeah, so maybe I just... You know, rehash what I said earlier around their, their services business. So around sourcing IT and RevCycle, I think that has the potential just given where health system budgets are. And then the second thing that really comes to me that I want to continue to monitor is is I suspect sort of the the winds are in United Health Group's favor when it comes to acquiring physician practices, especially as some of these groups are getting older and frankly looking to cash out and sell. These folks have a, a massive war chest of cash, and I, I could see them. I could see this group saying, "Hey, like, let's sell the United United and slow down, and eventually retire." And unfortunately, the demographics are they're in their favor, but those demographics may not be in the favor of the rest of us. And so that will be certainly one thing to monitor. And that's got to be of great concern to health systems because a lot of these physician groups have contracts with physician groups, and de facto, through an acquisition, United comes into control of major, major referral source for your specialty physicians. That's a risk of epic uh, levels. To your question, though, I'm watching their acquisitions. Shame on me. Yeah, I, I missed the small $6 billion acquisition <laughs> uh, that got them established in the home health space, but I imagine there's going to be many, many more. They are growing organically, of course, at a robust rate, but acquisitions have always been a major source of fuel for United. They're really good at them and they've got a, a stock that's well-valued. They've not been punished like the tech stocks as of late. So they've got a currency that will allow them to go forth and continue to make major, major deals that very few other players in the industry are able to make just because of their scale. So I would suggest watch what they're buying because that will be a clue as to whether they're doubling down on the physician groups or whether they're getting deeper into the world of telemedicine or whether home health care is a focus or all three, right? <laughs> it may not even be a choice they have to make. Yeah. They may have the luxury of moving forward on multiple fronts simultaneously. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping, James, they, uh, their media team thinks about acquiring a few podcasts <laughs> I know about. Uh, I know. <laughs> That could be cool to add to the mix. I can be bought and, and so can you, it sound. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, we're open to an offer. That's right. That's right. 
that's the whole reason we actually did this episode. Well played, oh well played. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, the, the one part that I'm definitely keeping an eye on is their pharmaceutical benefits management business or PBM business. It's under, our, under Optum. And last year, just their PBM business generated $91 billion in revenue. And again, the numbers are just astounding. Like I just, I have a hard time getting over it. But the, the thought of, I've just seen two articles in the last week making the case for more control over PBMs from consumers, more control over going straight to a drug manufacturer or a company like Mark Cuban's Cost Plus Drug Company or you name it, any number of prescription drug delivery services, Amazon Pharmacy, you name it. But be, going straight there and the amount of costs that can be reduced as a result, I think just it's part that in the healthcare and the provider services realm, I at least tend to turn a blind eye to it. I just don't realize how much of a factor that is. But consumer organizations, again, the CVSs of the world, the Walmarts of the world, they very clearly get this part too because pharmacy services are always a part of their strategy, uh, whether it is their brick and mortar or any services they want. It's always talked about. It's just almost like, oh yeah, and we also like want to make that part easier. And so I think from a consumer design standpoint, from a consumer first standpoint, I'm going to keep an eye on that to see, I don't know if there's really a direct attribution model for that to say, oh yeah, like that led to these results, but... I can see pharmacy services one way or another being more directly involved behind the scenes and coming into play in the growth strategies of other payviders at the very least. And that has big implications in the market. So that's one thing I'll be keeping an eye on. Well said, Jordan. It's, I don't think it's an accident that CVS Aetna also owns a pharmacy benefit management company, a large one at that. We know it's an incredibly lucrative business and it generates a lot of data that has immense value. So well said with that uh, attention to that $91 billion business that's spinning off cash flow at an incredible rate. Yeah. And you know, going back to our earlier comment, maybe that could be their downfall too, is as the Mark Cubans of the world and you know, who's that that one gentleman that upped the price of insulin, was it? And was in the news. People are paying really close attention now to the cost of drugs, especially as it seems like more Americans aren't fully insured. And so that... That could be the, the pinprick that busts the bubble and, and gets some more attention on the United Health Group, depending on how they choose to play in that space. Let's watch that for sure. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think from a consumer standpoint, this is kind of a way to kind of point all this in, in, in one single direction, which is, you know, why could that make a difference in my mind? Because consumers are feeling more power to at least ask those questions. We are not just taking it for granted that whatever the doctor prescribes, I'm going to take that and pay for whatever it is or just have the traditional ways of making those types of decisions come into play. There's a lot of other factors. All right, final thoughts on United, on payviders in general. If we want to become more disruptive, why should we keep paying attention to them? The very notion of a payvider is inherently just a really interesting one. It aligns the interests of, of two organizations, those paying for care and those delivering care. And we've seen where the growth is happening in the industry and where the exciting innovation is happening. And it's at organizations like United. It's like at organizations like Kaiser Permanente. Because uh, when you align interests, people get better care generally. There's an incentive to keep people well and an incentive to keep people 
out of expensive care situations. So it's an exciting model just inherently. And United and others are at the forefront of making it happen. And that's why I'm watching them with great interest. And I'm watching their, their rivals, you know, the CVS Aetna's of the world and other giants that have accumulated assets that put them in a unique position to continue to disrupt at scale. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, what James like took the exact talking point I was going to share, but maybe I'll do a little bit more to lot to say what I love about payviders, one of the reasons why you can really innovate within that system or structure is sure interests are aligned, but it's really cool to see like what cool like digital technologies may be able to manifest in those models where you don't necessarily have to worry about getting a billing code to pay for this specific piece of technology. Because when you're within that, you know, call it that single payer environment, if you will, similar to back home in Canada, as long as you can demonstrate that the technology or the model is decreasing the cost of care and improving outcomes, it pays for itself. Who cares whether or not we can bill, if you will, for that intervention or tool. And so I'd be just really curious all pay providers, I think, is going to be the, the source of innovation in both tech and service and the things that we talk about. And it's certainly a place everyone needs to be watching to see what they do. Well said. Great thoughts for both of you. Thanks so much for, for joining, for giving us some time today. Stay safe, stay well, and let's do this again. All righty. Thanks for having me, Jared. Yes, thanks. Few balls in. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again. 